All right, I'm going to share a story to start off with, but this time I, I just want to put my brother back up on the, on, the, on the chopping block. I've already gotten his permission to share it, so it's not that bad, but it's always good to do that just in case. So how many of you believe in people, believe the best in people? I believe the best in people. I, I liked, I'd like to think myself as an optimist. I believe the best in people. I believe that when working together, people do their best to stay on the same page. Would you agree with me? Some people, maybe not. People are like, no, I don't trust people. I believe that husbands and wives do their best. I believe they do their best with their kids, and I believe they do the best with their families and with their friends and with their coworkers. And someone that I know has the best intentions is my brother. I believe he has the best intentions. From the bottom of my heart, I do believe it. One of the things that, if you know Matt, Matt is the absolute life of the party. And sometimes you're laughing with him, and sometimes you're laughing at him, and he doesn't mind whichever one it is. He's just fine. He just wants there to be joy. So when Matt comes and he eats at your table, you feel good. And oftentimes, Matt, would, Matt lived with us, so he would eat with us a whole lot. And he, he would go to my mom's house and eat a whole lot, and he's probably eating at your house, possibly. Um, but Matt is a joy to have around. But there's this, there's this one thing that happens when Matt comes to dinner, and I just want to kind of reenact it just a little bit. So, so Matt will come to Angie, and he'll say, hey, hey, sis. You know, he's, he starts to warm up to her. He's, can, can I come to your house for dinner tonight? And Angie, because she's nice and lovely, says, of course you can come to our house for dinner tonight. And then he's like, okay, excellent. Um, what are you having for dinner and so, so he, and she's like, you know, it's a fair question. I ask that all the time. I'm like, sweetie, what are we having for dinner tonight? And I'm like, yes, it's, what are we having tonight? Tacos or something? Birria? It's like shredded beef tacos. You're invited if you want. Um, everybody can come. So Matt, so, so if he'd hear what's on the menu, he'd say, excellent, okay. And then he'd just, hold on one second. And then he'll pick up his phone. He'll, 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 he'll call my mom. He say, "Hey mom. Hey, what are you having for dinner tonight?" And then literally, I mean, I don't know how many times this happened. This happened a lot of times. But if he's with my mom, the same thing would happen. Bruce is like nodding. He's like, "That Matt." He'll be at my mom's house and she's like, "Hey, do you want to stay for dinner?" "Well, what are you having, mom?" And then he'll he'll put her on hold and say, "Let me just call Angie and see what she's having tonight, and I'll let you know once I get confirmation of what she's having if I'll be with you for dinner tonight." I still believe the best in people. But what started, what's, oh, sorry, I didn't, was it a good one? There, there's some truth in that. Matt, the comments, if you're listening, they said, no wonder you're single. What started with the best of intentions what started where everyone was on board for a nice family meal together changed because of Matt's not-so-hidden agenda. It is so easy for us to start with good intentions, to start together, to be on the same page, but then it can turn so quickly into us putting God on hold to see and explore our other options and we often end up in a different place. This morning, the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart a simple and a quiet challenge. And, it, and I just, as, as, as Pastor Russick shared, I mean, it's, 
it speaks to me first. And this is something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me specifically, and I just want to continue sharing it. But the challenge is this. Am I pursuing my business or his? Has my not-so-hidden agenda overridden the Father's business? So our quiet reminder this morning, and this is the first point, we must be about our Father's business. We must be about our Father's business. Haven't seen that yet. Looks great, Luke. Can I just read that passage of Scripture out where Jesus declares that? It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year. This is Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph. At the feast of the Passover... And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. How many would be very upset with boy Jesus? And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? I would have had some other words to add into that. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house or I must be, other translation says, about my father's business? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Do you know, the thing that stands out to me about this scripture just immediately is how far apart Joseph and Mary and Jesus were. I mean, they're like a day's journey apart. This is a pretty long distance away. So they've made it up to Auckland without realizing Jesus is in the back of the van, right? They're they're a day's journey away. They started in the same place, but they ended up so far apart. Who has been left somewhere by your parents? Tim, where have you been left? (laughs) There's too many places to count. He's just been left all over the place. I remember I was left at soccer practice one time. It was the end of the night. And it was, it was, nighttime was approaching. And I had to go to my soccer coach's house for dinner. And like, it was a while until I got picked up. Thank you, dad, if you're listening. Thank you. There's, my family's just going to get shout-outs constantly throughout this. But it's, it feels not the best to be lost. But I, I love Mary and Joseph's response. They are they're astonished, the Scripture says. Astonished means greatly surprised. They, they were shocked that Jesus was not with them. They were so upset. Son, why have you treated us so? They feel they've been treated so poorly. They have been searching in great distress. I mean, is this a picture of people that are not cool, calm, and collected? They're upset. They're angry. Jesus has done them wrong. And I would propose to you in one way, Joseph and Mary had done nothing wrong. They were on their way home. 
And Jesus would have been old enough to take care of himself. So, I mean, he's 12 years old at the time. He's, he's probably already learning the trade, and he's, he's old enough to take care of himself. He's old enough to know, like, when they sent out the text message, this is what time we're leaving. You know, like, he would have picked all of that information up. He would have been ready to go. So it's not that he, they probably would have been irresponsible and told him that we weren't leaving. But Jesus' response, I believe, is so powerful, and upon self-reflection can be powerful for us as well. He responds with two questions. And his first question, why were you looking for me? Well, Jesus, would you like me to explain why we were looking for you because you weren't with us when you're supposed to be with us? It's a pretty obvious question. But the first question gives Mary and Joseph an opportunity to look inside. Why explores your motivation? Look to your motives. I think and, and I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the, the choir right here and myself. It's too easy to just assume that we have found our way into the right option. There, there's just this kind of, we, I mean, we wouldn't do it if we didn't think it's right, right? But we assume that the way that we're doing and what we're doing is right. Of course, this is what God would have me do. Of course, this is the right option. But just like Mary this morning, we must consider this question of why are we doing what we are doing? Why have we chosen this path? Why have we handled this relationship this way? You, you fill in the gap of what you're doing. Why are you pursuing conflict, conflict resolution in this matter? Why are you holding on to this bitterness or this, this slight against you? Why are you so upset at your boss for doing this? Explore why, where is the point of conflict in you and why are you feeling that way? Why are you acting that way? To be about the Father's business, we must first identify why we are doing what we are doing. The second question Jesus asks is this. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The second question, Jesus is moving beyond the why, and he's moving into his mission. He's moving into expressing his mission. The Bible says that Mary and Joseph did not understand the saying he spoke to them. Did you not know? There is a disconnect of knowing what the father's business was. Why, why am I just pausing here? Because, of course, we know it's the right option. How upset were Mary and Joseph? They were fuming. They were in great distress. They were upset, but they didn't know the father's business. It's important because we assume we do know the father's business. We assume with, when we're not pausing, we're going to go into how do we find the father's business, and I hope that it helps breathe life but there's a disconnect of knowing what the father's business was. Inside of this question is the inference that they should have known. Did you not know? And Mary and Joseph thought that they did know. That's why they were so surprised. They were mad. How many of you, if you're expecting something to come up, you're not going to be upset about it. You're not going to be surprised. They seriously didn't know what was going on. They did not know or understand the father's business. See, every year, Mary and Joseph would travel to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. So that's why they were there. How, many of you, how long does the Feast of Passover go? Do you know? It's typically eight days is what it is. Many, many folks celebrate it just on the last day today, and they just kind of celebrate that eighth day. So they were there for about a week. 
And then after, and the Bible says, as was custom, as was usual, Mary and Joseph headed home after the feast of Passover. Mary and Joseph were done with their remembrance of Passover. But Jesus was not done. Jesus was to become the sacrificial lamb that would complete Passover. What was simply a week away from routine for Joseph and Mary was not a passing thing for Jesus, but it was his purpose. Jesus knew that he must prepare himself. That's why he was at the feet of these men in the temple, in his father's house, listening and learning and leaning in and answering. He wasn't able to be distracted from his father's business. There is our business I can just imagine, how many of you know after a week in Jerusalem and it's busy and it's crowded, I'm keen to get home too. I'm tired, I'm cranky, I'm ready to get there. Jesus' younger brothers and sisters were probably not behaving if they're anything like, you know, our kids, like there's usually one that's doing well and the other two just like resent the other one so they amp up their behavior. Joseph and Mary are ready to get home. Their business is set. The The feast of Passover has ended and they're ready to go home. There is our business, our desire to get home after a long week away. And we suppose, it says in verse 44, that Jesus is with us. They supposed that Jesus is with us. The problem with supposing is its definition. It's to think or assume that something is true or probable, but you lack proof of certain knowledge. They assumed that Jesus was with them. But then there's the father's business. When the trip to Jerusalem wasn't just about remembering what God had done thousands of years before, delivering Moses and the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians. It was about what he was about to do. In the next 20 years, on the cross at Calvary, which we celebrated this morning, where all people, for in history, would be afforded freedom from the blood of the Lamb in Jesus. Through the blood of the Lamb in Jesus. Mary and Joseph were not ill-meaning. They were not trying to cut across the purposes of God. But how many of you know we can travel a long way from the purposes of God and not even know it? From the Father's business. Like Mary and Joseph weren't aware that Jesus was with them after a day of travel. I have been gently rocked to my core that my business is not always his business. And I want the cry of my heart to be, I must be about my father's business. Point number two is this. Our father's business, big surprise here, is bigger than our business. I I love, we're going to just in a moment look at the story of of Jesus when he turns the water into wine. But I just love how Jesus' response is so not the Jesus that we've painted in our minds of this like soft person who's so just like, I don't know what we've painted him. He's like Santa Claus, but just doesn't give gifts, you know, like he's just, that's kind of this picture that we have of Jesus, even in the modern world. Like we're so religious and we so have our little boxes that he's supposed to fit in, but Jesus breaks all of these boxes. And I love his response to his mom here. And we're just going to look at it. So I'm in John chapter two. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. 
Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. It's like that second invite, like his mom was invited first, but he kind of got that like sneak in the party thing. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? He probably didn't say it like that. I'm just, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, she just ignores him, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Woman was actually a term of respect used here. It wasn't how I said it. I didn't say it very kindly. Woman, it was a term of endearment. What does this have to do with me? How many of you know that Jesus really didn't care about the wine? The wine had nothing to do with anything. His purposes, his business, it had, them and their lack of party planning had nothing to do with Jesus. It had absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And I would even submit to you that Mary's purposes for having Jesus turn that had nothing to do with the purposes of Jesus because he says, this has nothing to do with me. My hour has not yet come. I just, I just can't stop but laugh at the response that Jesus gives his mom. Like, I'm not allowed to say things like that to my mom. Mary, however, was not too worried about Jesus' rebellion, ignores him, tells the servants, do whatever he tells them. We must look at Jesus' response here because he's already said, we all know he turns the water into wine, right? We've given it away in the title of the, Jesus turns water into wine. That's what the story is. But he's already told Mary, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not, just, why are you coming to me? I'm going to read verse 6 again. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. You know, I did a lot of research around what these jars were that Jesus asked to have the water filled up in. He didn't ask, he didn't say fill the empty wine um, jars. He didn't say fill those up again with water. What did he say? He said, fill up these jars. And they were, it says, do we know what a gallon is in New Zealand? Unfortunately, I'm still an American. Um, so this was like 22 to 33 gallons jars. These, these things were huge. They were huge, these, these huge jars. And they were used for purification of God's people before they could enter the temple, before they could enter the presence of God. So bear with me here. Jesus' first miracle was not to, as Mary wanted, to give the guests more wine. Jesus' first miracle was to reveal himself as the bride of Christ. He took the things that was used in ceremonial ritual to cleanse someone temporarily to do his first miracle in, 
to reveal that he was God incarnate, to reveal himself as the living water that would never run dry. This morning in prayer, Dini was praying, and she started praying about the living water that will never run dry. And I told her the last time I preached, she, she started prophesying stuff that's in my sermon. I should just let her preach the sermons. But I just want to encourage you, there's a word from God today around this shift from your business to his business, from ritual to relationship, from temporary to eternal. There is something that God used. This has nothing to do with me, your business, your, your lack of planning here, your, your working out of the wine here. This has nothing to do with me, but you know what I will do? I will use it to reveal myself as the King of Kings. I will use it to reveal myself as, as the Lord of Lords, as the one who's going to take all of your ritual when you have to get clean and you have to like sacrifice six and a half doves and do all these weird things to just come into the Lord's presence. And then you have to do it all over again next month and all over it again next month. And then every seven years it gets wiped clean and all sorts. There's so many rules you can't keep up with them. But he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you living water that no matter what you do, no matter where you come from, no matter what, what you're going through, no matter what your lack of planning is, I'm going to bring water that never runs dry. So that means that our business, that we don't see where Jesus is and we assume that he's with us, his business is already going to be manifested, but his business is the glorification of Jesus, of bringing heaven to earth. Jesus would be the one to end purification rituals in the temple. He would come to purify all the sins of the world. How interesting is it that he used his first miracle to be a purification device where he wipes our sins away. The Father's business is to reveal Jesus, to reveal his kingdom, to reveal heaven. Jesus comes to replace ritual for relationship. We have our business and we have our purpose and we have our plans, but it fits into his greater plans, into his greater business. Mary and Joseph had the right to be worried about Jesus, Jesus if they didn't know where he was. Mary had the right to care about the wedding running out of wine, but their business was secondary to the father's business. Our father's business is bigger than our business. And I think the principle is this that, that has been challenged to me personally. The more we get locked into our business, the harder it is for us, the more astonished we are, the more in distress we are when, we, when the Father's business is revealed and we're upset and angry at him for having his business. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to surrender our hearts and not get so locked into what you think it is. But go to the Father. And we're going to talk about that in the final point. We will find ourselves looking for wine or for trying to be on time after our vacation in Jerusalem as being more important than revealing Jesus in a situation. I, I, there's so many examples and live examples that I could give, but I mean, it's even, even the simple thing of, of preaching. Sometimes I preach and I teach. Do you know how in anything that we do, even if it's you going to work or if it's you have a family or it's... How, how easy do you know it is for those things to kind of become the thing? They become the most important thing. It's like you got to get to work on time. So what's your, your mission is getting to work on time. You know, like when I preach and you teach, it's so easy for the preaching and teaching to actually get more important than what Jesus is wanting to do. If he says, Jesse, stop, it's more important for me to stop and let him do what he needs to do. 
And if somebody else can do it better or more, we need to get out of the way so that they can do that. How many of you know we must be about our Father's business, not our business? The Lord's Prayer. How much gold is in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It is too easy for our lives to be consumed with pursuing our business. We must be about our Father's business. We must be about his will to be done, his kingdom to come. Our Father's business is bigger than ours. We need his perspective. We need his agenda. But the good thing, his agenda is also not so hidden. The last point is knowing and hearing the Father comes before business. Knowing and hearing the Father comes before business. I'm just going to read one small passage of Scripture. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. How do we know what the Father's business is? I believe we can learn so much from Samuel's encounter here. I'm just going to give three mini points out of this little thing. How do we hear what the Father's business is? God is always calling us. He's always looking to download his business. And the point A, if you will, is to know the Father's business, you need to know him. How many of you know, when, when did Samuel hear the voice of the Lord? He heard the voice of the Lord when he was sleeping inside where the Ark of the Covenant was. Samuel was spending his days inside the temple serving the Lord. Samuel was in proximity to the presence of God. These principles are not profound. They are profound, but they're not overly difficult. We cannot know the Father unless we spend time with the Father. And And I know he's always with you, but if you're not listening to him, it doesn't really matter. You know, like those car rides where it's silent, you're mad at the other person, no one's talking. There's not a lot of bonding that happens. Proximity to the presence of the Lord is what allowed Samuel to first know the voice of the Lord. This principle is so life giving. We rush to quickly go back to our business, a.k.a. Mary and Joseph. They're ready to go back to to Nazareth. And we don't spend enough time sitting at the feet of the Father learning to hear his voice. Number two, to know the Father's business, you need the word of the Lord to be revealed to you. There is no shortcut to hearing from God. There is no shortcut to hearing from God. Give us this day our daily bread. The emphasis on daily and the emphasis on bread. 
We've, I've talked, talked about it before, and, and there's many, many people that have talked about it, but we can't live on yesterday's manna. It spoils. We know it, but we're not spending time with him, and we're not getting in his word to hear what he has to say about our conflict resolution. We just go and play that mental video over and over and over again, and we get mad at that person, and we go and confront them and wonder why they're not giving us a good response. We need to be getting before the feet of the Father, we need to be getting in, in, in front of his word. We cannot put our agenda first. If you're not getting to know him and you're not having his word revealed to you, the word says that at that time Samuel did not yet know the Lord, yet he was in his house every day. At the time it says the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to Samuel. We cannot push forward if we don't have the word of the Lord. How many of you know he still speaks today? but we're so impatient or we didn't like what he said. And so we're waiting for a different response and we start to choose our own option. And we end up, in, we end up back in Nazareth when if we would have paused and recognized that our son is the one who's going to be the sacrificial lamb, that there's something more that God is needing to do with him to reveal him, to prepare him. What is the father doing in your life? What is his business? I recently, I had such a strong word of God to me specifically as we're planning our trip back to the States. And it was this specific, specific word. And I'm, I, it's like when Tanya was speaking, it's like you almost don't want to get a word because it means you're going to need it. And it was this word was, don't be like the 10 guys that were afraid of the giants in the promised land. I would have liked it better if he's like, be like Joshua and Caleb, you know, like, be bold and strong. He said, don't be like those 10. And as we're looking at opportunities to do what we need to do, there are some huge giants in the land. But how many of you know you cannot step forward until you've had a word from God? Because if I had not had that word, I would have already probably taken a couple of left turns and right turns to avoid some of these giants that I'm seeing in the future. You cannot move forward until you know him and you have a word. And you cannot get upset at him when you've gone off by yourself. You can't be in great distress. Jesus, why are you treating me so? He's saying, why aren't you listening to me? My business is over here. You've moved on without me. I must be about my father's business. The final thing, what should our prayer be before the Lord to receive his business plans? I believe this is one of the most powerful takeaways this morning. It's to pray just as Samuel prayed, just as Eli instructed Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Not God, will you please do what my agenda is for you today? How many of your prayers are like mine? Often they're like that. God, will you please do this for me today? Sometimes they're good ones. No, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We want him to speak, not us. We are the servant, not the master. Our focus is not on talking, is not on moving. It's on listening, on hearing. John 5, 19, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. And if the son can do nothing, whew, I'm in need of that but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. I can do nothing on my own, it says in verse 30. Jesus is saying, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We must be aware of God's agenda 
in what we're doing, in the big and in the small, because how many of you know those small little things can take us so far off the, the, the weathered track where Jesus is leading us? Your business is not always the Father's business. This morning, the cry of my heart to, is to be aligned with his will, is to be aligned with his business. I don't want to suppose, I don't want to assume that he's come with me. I want to pause. I want to take time to get at the feet of the Father, to say, God, I'm listening. Your servant hears. I don't want to move from this place until I know your heart. I don't want to move from this place until I have a word revealed to you, a word revealed from you to me so that I know where to go. I don't want to go about my own business. I need to be about my father's business. I don't want to be passionate about making the guests happy so that they have more wine. I want to be passionate to not miss that he's revealing himself as the one who will curse sin to the grave, who purchased eternal life for me. I don't want to miss that opportunity. I don't want to miss the opportunity where I'm so quick to get home after church on Sunday to get my meal that I miss where God is revealing himself to someone that he's the sacrificial lamb. I must be about my father's business. Will you pray with me?